Hey folks, it is Lisa Anderson with Boundless, and the day has come for you to take our Boundless survey. This is the one, I think I mentioned it a few months ago, but we only do this like every six years, okay? So boundless.org slash survey is where you're going to go. Grab a snack, sit down, put your thinking cap on, because this is your opportunity to tell us everything that you want to tell us about your experience with Boundless, about yourself. We're going to ask you questions about what you're up to, what you're into. Uh, Just we want to get to know you better. And so boundless.org slash survey. Take the survey. uh, Be part of the Boundless family in communicating kind of where you are right now and kind of who you are. And so we will take all those results and use them to build Boundless uh, throughout the remainder of this year and into next year and hopefully serve you even better. And so go today, right now, boundless.org slash survey. Thanks in advance. Boundless Show. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Later on for our inbox, we have a guy who's interning at his church. He happens to like one of the women on staff, and he's wondering, should he pursue her? He's kind of new there, and so it's like, "Eh," you know, is it too soon? Well, I'm going to weigh in with some ideas for him on that. And then for our culture segment, we have Kate Warman. She's the host of the Heart of Dating podcast and is going to discuss how to handle rejection uh, in dating and beyond. So it's not easy to talk about. um, But if you or someone you know is facing a breakup or has just gone through one, definitely stay tuned. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And today we're going to continue a conversation that weirdly uh, started actually a few months ago on the show. But we really got into so much stuff that we were like, we need to kind of pick this up again. And so I have invited Glenn Stanton, Jeff Johnston and Loanne McGee back. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi, Lisa. All right. Good to have you here. And the conversation that we uh, had last time was around issues of homosexuality and specifically where we want to go this week, because we were talking about some, you know, how homosexuality um has affected us personally, our relationships, our families, and uh, really what that, you know, has has looked like historically for us. And this week, I kind of want to move into having conversations around homosexuality, LGBTQ issues, whatever, um, with friends, with family members, uh, others, whether they are, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of in this sphere of I've got atheist friends who are gay and lesbian. I've got self-ID'd Christian friends, even some who I was telling you before would even say they were kind of like evangelical born-again Christians, but they're just like, but God's okay with homosexuality, so let's just all be okay with it too. And so it's really a, it's a weird spot for me to be in. And so I'm looking forward to your insights uh, related to this. So I'm just going to ask the question, basically from the get-go, which is really where I think we'll land uh, a lot of this conversation. And it's kind of like the the question everyone has, but they ask it in a million different ways. And that is, how do you, we're all trying to, and it sounds so terrible, you know, this is so theologically incorrect and whatever, but we're all just trying to be good Christians, people, and just love people. So how but how do we do that? Because we want to be in relationship with people. We want to communicate that we're caring people, that we love them. But we also have to stand on the truth as we know it's represented in God's word. Is it possible to do both of these things? Share you guys from your own experience in this. Of course, it's possible. I mean, Glenn, it just, you're just yeah. saying that. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, no, uh, the, 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 I mean, the problem with not the way you set it up, you set it up properly, but but the problem with the setup is this false idea that in order to love is to accept, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't accept, then you don't love. And like that doesn't work in any other sphere of life, you know. People who have different positions on abortion can still be friends and I can still like you and think you're a decent person. Vegetarianism, you know, veganism, like, yes, we can come at this from different perspectives. But on this issue, it's if you don't absolutely agree with me, then you must hate me. And that's manipulative. We just have to call it that right out of the Mm -hmm. gate. Well, I I think one of the things that makes this difficult is that 
homosexuality is really, well, and transgenderism too, they're really a couple of the only issues where I think the sin involved has become a person's identity. And I, I think that's a place where Christians have lost the battle. But I think we need to separate in our own minds. There's this person, he's male or she's female, made in God's image, and they're struggling with this issue. This is not the essence of who anybody is. It's not their very being. It's just something they're wrestling with or not wrestling with and, and doing. And I, I, that's just hard because um, – Gosh, I remember like 40 years ago going to see this play, and there was this gay kid in the play who who came out to his mother, and he said in there, um, I won't be in relationship with you unless you accept me as I am. And I thought, well, my goodness, he's not giving her the same grace he's asking for. He's not accepting her where she is. Um and I, I think most people, like, like you, Lisa, they're not, they're going to know where you stand on this issue. You're not going to go around hammering them on the head every time you see them. Um, nobody wants to be poked about their sin issue every time you talk to them. Um, but yeah, I think we can make it clear where what we believe about this, this, that this is not who you are, that I love you. And yeah, I think it's wrong. Yeah, we've come across it even within our own um, local church body. Um, of those who are like, well, yeah, people can be gay and Christian. Well, um, I have phrased it to a few different people. It's like, well, can I be an adulteress, a perpetual adulteress, and still be considered a Christian? You know, if I am constantly cheating on my husband, I am not abiding by the words um, of Christ and being who I should be in Christ. So, doesn't mean that I don't have a belief in Christ. No, but does it mean I'm truly living for him? Yeah, if I'm constantly cheating on my husband, I'm not living a life for Christ. And so anything, whatever it is, if I'm a constant liar or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. If we are not denying ourselves to follow Christ in the way that he leads us, mm-hmm. then what are we following? We're following our own choices and we have to decide, okay. Whose am I? Am I my own or am I his? Yeah. And I think um, getting back, Jeff, to what you said there, too, I think that idea of identity is so important because that is kind of a distinguishing factor. And I've had friends say to me, you know, who were who, you know, say that they're believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And they say, look, Lisa, there's no way that God would make this such a struggle for me if it wasn't okay." (laughs) Because I, you know, I have gone, I've done all the counseling, I've tried to pray it away, I've tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, I did, I quote, did my best. And why hasn't God, if God, if it's that important to God, why hasn't he shown up for me? What would be your response to that? Well, I think we need to, um, I think we need to think about how we talk about change with people. What does it look like for God to change a person? And Christians kind of have this dilemma where even in, in eva- something like evangelism, we want to say to people, yeah, come to Jesus. He's, he'll do so much for you, and your life will be so different. And we can kind of overpromise because we also have to let them know, well, it's not going to be easy either to follow Jesus. And the same thing with change. I don't think we can promise people that God will change them from gay to straight. Mm-hmm. And early on in my own journey of leaving homosexuality, I had to realize that, that I thought I would go to a support group for about six weeks, go to counseling for about six weeks. I'd be done. I'd be straight. I'd move on with my life. And I kind of came to my senses and realized it's not going to be this way. And change for me involved a lot of different things, changing my view of God, changing my view of people, of men, of women, changing my relationships, um, God bringing healing to my past, changing my thinking. I, I remember a friend of mine handed me a paper, and he's, he asked me to write on it, um, who is God? And so I wrote down this great theological thing. <laughs> you know, God is light, God is good, all the verses we know. And then he he said, okay, flip it over. And he said, now tell me how you feel about God. And these words came into my head immediately. I felt like God was angry and punitive and 
God used that experience to change, mm -hmm. to begin changing my thinking about him and, and my knowledge of him. And I didn't even realize all that junk was in there. All my beliefs about him were so twisted and distorted. But that was a huge area of change in my life. So it's not about flipping a switch from gay to straight. It's about becoming more like Jesus. It's about mm -hmm. becoming more of who God intended you to be. It's about being healthier in your life. And those were all wonderful things that God did for me over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember um, last year when we had Beckett Cook on the show, and he's the author of A Change of Affection, and him talking about how, yeah, he said, Lisa, I would still say that I'm same-sex attracted. He said, but I see it as a great exchange in that God has done what God has done for me in giving me a new heart and literally transforming my life and where just the direction I face now, he said, I had to hold everything else with an open hand and just say, I, he's got to be doing something. And it doesn't mean that like, oh, yeah, okay, now he's just going to, quote, fix everything. Um, w clearly, you know, we're, we're in a broken world and whatnot. But I appreciated that perspective of he's like, but I will tell you, all my eggs are in God's basket. That's where <laughs> all I can do is trust that he yeah. knows what he's doing. And I don't have the full picture. And so I appreciate that. Um, I would like for you all to because here's another question that kind of springboards off of that. Um, so talk us through a scenario. Give us an example of how you would handle this. A friend who comes and either they've come out already or they haven't or they're just confessing, I actually struggle with same-sex attraction. What is What do you say in that conversation, both immediately and then maintaining that relationship moving forward? What does this look like? Because I think a lot of us struggle with, okay, how much truth do I have to put on the line first? Do I have to set it up that like, okay, well, let me just tell you that I think that's sin, but here we go, you know, or in the midst of that, you know, we want to be good listeners. We, we don't know, are they okay with that? Are they, have they reconciled it? What? What do you try to find out? What do you try to draw out of them? I mean, Loanne, you've had this conversation with a daughter. You talked about that last time. Let's talk about how you have navigated these conversations personally. I think we have to first know whether when the person is talking to us, are they one that has claimed to be a believer or are they one that is not um, following Christ? Because I think that can determine um, not that... It determines our truth um, being expressed, but it's how and what we can say. With my daughter, she was, you know, raised in the same Christian home as her sisters. And, but I know that, you know, I'm not going to bash her over the head with scripture and all this. Um, the thing that kept going through my mind is just the scripture on salt and light. And I think that too often the Christian community, we've been guilty of definitely using the salt but forgetting to have the light with it, that we need to speak truth. And that can be painful, like putting salt in a wound. But we need to also be very Christ-like, just as Jesus was with the woman caught in adultery. That, you know, um, I'm not going to accuse you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to condemn you. But he also spoke truth to her. And then he told her, go and sin no more. And um, with my daughter, when it's come up at different times, you know, I've always assured her that the love is there. And from time to time, I just check in with her. And it's like, I just want to make sure, are you still completely um, convinced that we still love you, period? And thankfully, we are at a point where she can easily say yes. And I'm very thankful for mm -hmm. that. Um, to Jeff's point, we don't bring it up every time. It's only if, usually now, unless she brings it up. Um, but we do our best to just meet her where she is, love her well, but not, you know, there's no condoning and there's no condemnation. It is truly a battle we fight in the spiritual realm. Um, we had a little, a young lady in our church a few weeks ago come to me and let me know that she's decided because of <clears throat> someone that is very dear to me that has hurt her deeply, um, and is a male that, um, was, very painful for her that she's only 14 that now she likes girls and she it was a Sunday morning right before church I'm needing to go up to the worship team and she's like but I just wanted to let you know and I looked at her and I said well first of all you need to know this is not going to change how I feel about you I still love you 
that's not going to change. And I'm not going to think that you're some absolutely horrible person. I said, but do you still want to follow Jesus? And she's like, well, of course I do. I said, well, then how about we talk about this when we've got time? Let's talk about this. Well, since then, she's let go of that. It was just Mm -hmm. kind of a moment of drama of like, well, the boys hurt me, so I'm going to go to girls. Well, because girls can't hurt you. We're really good at that. Whether we're lesbian or not, we're really good at hurting each other. See, that's of such an important point, and it goes back to your question, Lisa, of what do you do with a person who just comes out with this news? You listen to them because mm-hmm. a lot of times, especially today, we think somebody says I'm I'm gay or lesbian, like okay, boom, that's just how you are. Like, no, mm-hmm. it often means you're very confused about something. And so I always say, start out just asking questions. Tell me about that. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel that way? What made you feel that way? And just like this young lady, I mean, Mm -hmm. give her a couple of weeks and she's like, well, no, I'm not lesbian. It's just like I don't like boys anymore because they're mean to me. Like, okay, honey, those are two very different things, (laughs) you know. And that's the thing is listen to people's stories. We see that in the Mm -hmm. trans issue like crazy, like, oh, I'm trans. Well, no, you're not trans. It just means that you don't want to be a girly girl, you know. Mm -hmm. Dig in and ask them. Find out what's behind the curtain there. And it's just such a wonderful spiritual gift of just asking good questions and listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think um, I'm just coming to mind is uh, I went – I was going at a movie with one of my friends who's a lesbian, and one of the trailers prior to the feature was for um, Boy Erased. So I don't know how long this would have been several years ago then now. And um, and it was super awkward because I basically got the impression while we were watching it that she's she was doing some kind of like social media, almost like boots on the ground campaign, like helping promote the movie in the community or something. She was very familiar with it and was like, oh, yeah, great and stuff. And so we had this conversation afterwards because she is someone who grew up uh, in evangelical home and very much, you know, chose to leave Christianity uh, because of this. And I was able to be honest with her. And she's a friend that I've been able to affirm very much on the fronts of you are an amazing friend. Um, She has now had a a baby. She and her now wife have. And I said, "Uh, you're an amazing mom. Like there's a lot of things that she does well. But I told her, I said, you know, I'm kind of offended that you're so gung ho about this film because you know that I'm not saying that there's like no Christians that have ever acted like this or doing like whack stuff, but you know that the majority of Christians are not reflected in this film. And I was able to just be kind of, a little bit honest about that, that I was hurt Mm -hmm. and offended that she was all like, oh, yeah, this is what we need to get this out and be like. So I just felt like that was a helpful conversation where I was able to share some hurt and kind of make it a, you know, we were able to kind of go back and forth on that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's there's this scene in the film where there's a support group for guys struggling with this this issue. And I think one of the guys had a fall or something and they beat him. (laughs) with a Bible, (laughs) literally. And I'm thinking, you know, I have never seen anything like that. That doesn't happen in the churches I go to. You know, we're not Mm -hmm. attaching electrodes to people. Well, and you're saying this, Jeff, as someone who did, I mean, who who lived, you know, for a while in a gay identity, who's done therapy, who's done, so you're not just making this up. So I want people to know that. No, and... um, But there's this narrative that's developed, and that film is part of it, that Christians are somehow tying down people and forcing them to try to change. And I I don't know anyone that's had that happen to them, and it certainly wasn't my case. Um, I even had a couple people encourage me the other direction, you know, go ahead and embrace it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I really needed was guys who just loved me where I was, where I wasn't a project— they understood that I was wounded and a bit prickly and angry and caustic. Okay, very angry. <laughs> <laughs> but but they just kind of let me be there. And they'd slam me over the head when I needed it with something. But they the center point of our relationship wasn't my sexuality. And it wasn't about mm-hmm. fixing Jeff. It was about other things. And I, I just needed that. I needed men who just came alongside me and walked with me. And... Gosh, they had their own stuff. You know, they had plenty of issues, and we would talk about that stuff as well. 
Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good thing for us to remember because it's so easy when, um, you know, when whether it's Christians or the LGBT community that's trying to make, you know, uh, sexuality in a, an agenda or a project or a top, you know, it, it becomes what you're identifying as. And I would never want anyone to make that my soul ID, something about me, like some random, like, you know, I say this jokingly sometimes here at Boundless about, I don't want to be like the singles poster child. Like the Mm -hmm. one thing about Lisa is she's single. So let's just talk about that every time. I would hope I, there's more to me than that. You know what, Lisa, it's interesting that you say that because I have found that to be very, very effective. And it's a like light bulbs on moment for individuals, Um, gay, lesbian friends, trans friends, I mean, they'll make such a big deal about their identity. And I go, how about if just you, me and Fred be friends? How about mm-hmm. if I just mm-hmm. love you as Fred? Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't love me as Glenn the Evangelical, Glenn the Conservative. Just love me as Glenn, the guy who rides this mountain bike and likes to read and, you know, likes music. And you can see people's eyes like, wow, that is like a mm-hmm. revolutionary new idea. And to come at it that way is very, very powerful and very liberating because like, you know what? Stop being your identity. How about if you just be you, you know, and let me love you for who you are. And it's very disarming. It's very disempowering, but it also equalizes the situation Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, I can do that. How about if you just love me for who I am? Yeah, that's novel. And it gives you something different to talk about instead of, you know, because I think so many Christians, especially, you know, maybe you listening, you know, you you say, I'm just like a 20 something. I don't know. I don't have all these talking points about homosexuality or I can't like debate people and stuff. And and that's where it's just like, man, we got to get back to seeing our friends as as people, as made in the image of God, as Mm -hmm. people, you know, no one is a project, but everyone is, you know, we we don't know who God's going to save. I mean, you know, God, everyone has uh, that potential to be snatched, you know, out of their own sin and, and uh, turned, you know, by the power of God mm-hmm. alone. And so I think we need to be confident in that and be joyful in that as we interact with folks. Yeah, one of the biggest things I had to learn was that I am not my daughter's Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not anybody's Holy Spirit. And but I, but I thought I was doing a good job at being that. Um, and then, you know, got taken down a few notches by the Holy Spirit. You know? <laughs> the actual one. <laughs> you know, and and it, it actually became very freeing. Um, it helped relieve me of the worry that I was becoming consumed with of, you know, the eternity of my child or anybody that I know who is not walking of the Lord, regardless of their lifestyle, because not good people go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, and um, as I shared in church a few weeks ago, I said, you know, um, who of us, if we had to wear a placard listing the sins that we had committed that week and walk around with that on us, who of us could stand? Mm-hmm. But yet we stand here and we point our fingers, well, but they cheated on their husband and then they did that, 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 and uh, well, you know what, my little judgy self I'm putting a barrier between me and my Lord with that because I'm saying I'm the judge and jury. God's mm-hmm. the judge and jury. Are there certain things that we know are absolutely sin? Yes. But those are visible things a lot of times that they're mm-hmm. declaring their sexuality as other than what God designed or, you know, fill in the blank. It's just, I'm sorry, but um, let us all realize we are just sinners and some of us just happen to know how to get that sin taken care of and truly removed. Yeah. Well, and we're very good at, I mean, we're experts at judging uh, the sins that we particularly don't struggle with. Correct. So that's where I remember mm-hmm. my my pastor actually said this in a sermon once, and I think everyone was kind of taken aback. He was like, kind of talking to the oldsters in the congregation about how they were all like, these young people that are sleeping around and living together and blah, 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 you know, which is, hello, sinful um, mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of marriage. But he said, you know, 
guys, he said, seniors, let's remember, the only reason we're not doing that is we're too old and too tired. <laughs> so, so I thought that was helpful. Well, oh my goodness. Okay, there's so much more we could we could say here, but I, I'm glad that we even got to continue the conversation a bit. Um, my thanks to you guys for, for weighing in on that. I think there's a lot really to think about here and some things that were said and some perceptions and we can move ahead in that and uh, I just want to thank you all for being part of the conversation. My pleasure. Sure, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. That sweet aroma I'm bold and beautiful I can hardly wait to taste Early morning Something wonderful is about to make my day. Folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and I get to introduce you uh, to a new friend here at The Boundless Show, Kate Warman. Kate, welcome to The Boundless Show. Thank you, Lisa. So excited to speak with you today. Well, uh, it's really fun for us. We Your book had kind of come across my desk, and I, I thought it was a, an interesting topic. And of course, sometimes just by the title, you can't totally tell what it's about. But uh, the title of your book is, is Thank You for Rejecting Me. Which I was like, okay, well, you know, we're a young adults ministry and stuff like that. And so obviously our folks are always talking about rejection, whether in dating or otherwise. But, you know, you don't always feel like, oh, you know, you think you're the only one that struggles with this. But it's kind of a universal thing and can play out in many different areas. And so... um so I thought it would be really fun to talk to you today. Um, for those of you who aren't totally familiar with Kate, she's an author, she's a speaker, she hosts the podcast Heart of Dating. Um, and I don't know if, if any of y'all have heard that, but you've got to check it out. And you can find out more at heartofdating.com. She's a relationship coach uh, currently living in LA. And so, um, well, let's jump right into this topic because it's born out of a lot of personal experience, um, which is always helpful, I think, for folks, because as I was saying, you know, people tend to feel pretty alone um, in their struggles. And so it's kind of one of those things of like, oh, my goodness, hey, maybe I'm not alone. This could be this could be cool. And so um, so you kind of, you know, the kind of the first place I'd like to go is obviously none of us like being rejected. um, But you're actually arguing in the book that it can be a good thing and a very growing thing. And you kind of give um, several reasons why kind of give us an overview of why you even thought like, this is something that people need to know so they don't get stuck in this spot. Yeah, well, as you said, Lisa, we all go through rejection of many forms. And I think when someone says the word rejection, it could conjure up a myriad of different things in our minds. Uh, Some people immediately assume because I'm a dating coach, I talk about dating, that the book's just about heartbreak. But the reality is that rejection spans more than just heartbreak. It could also happen in our childhood years through our familial dynamic. It could happen through our middle school years when we may feel left out or bullied. It could happen uh, in the workplace or in school when you feel like you are a failure or you have a closed door. So when you bring up the word rejection, it could conjure up a lot in somebody's heart and mind. And what I realized both in my journey personally, as well as helping people in this area, so much of my life has and my identity in the past before I started healing from different past rejections had been defined and kind of stuck in the rejections of my past, thinking that out of fear that this X thing, whatever it was, this heartbreak, this failure, this not feeling like I fit in would happen again. And therefore, it limited me from putting myself out there in the world uh, because I was so worried about rejection happening again. Yeah. But the reality with rejection is that it will always happen. 
Yeah. You know? Well, and it's very, it, you know, kind of what you're alluding to there is a very sneaky thing because we don't often yeah. spend a lot of time just saying, well, let me reflect on my past and the rejections yeah. I've had and what I can learn from them. We tend to try to just forget them or be like, yeah. you know, if this was in my past, the one thing I don't want to do is return to it. I don't want to relive it. I don't want to, I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself from it. So what, what kind of from your past started cropping up that you were like, oh my goodness, there's like a pattern here. Yeah. And that's a good thing to to admit that we can put a lot of things in the closet, but eventually we'll have to clean out that closet. You know, we could stuff it all in there, but it's going to eventually come out and leak into our lives in various ways. And that's what happened for me. Uh, I was a perfectionist growing up. I developed a really bad or an interesting habit, I should say, of performing, which can be used in a good way. But for me, I also really clung to performing. And that was, outside of performing, I also grew to needing a validation from men, which is a big part of my story, all of now today being a dating coach. But throughout <laughs> my journey, what I realized was I was putting so much of my identity in men and validation and needing all these things. And I didn't actually realize how much I was also being affected by the rejections of my past when things didn't go according to plan. Because as we all know, we don't have control of so many different situations, especially when it comes to rejection. We have no ways of controlling if people reject us. And so one day after a really terrible abusive relationship that I detail in the book, um, I went through a season of kind of recognizing that I didn't know who Kate actually was outside of performing and outside of dating. And I needed to take a season to heal from both the rejections of my past that had happened to me. And also what I talk about in the book, Lisa, is not only rejections of my past that had happened to me, but also the internal self-rejections that I had been believing about myself. And so that's what led me on a journey of kind of going through these layers of healing from rejection. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, I mean, you you detail several stories in the book and, and you know, specifically uh, this one about dating. You know, you talked about uh, your relationship with Chris and the breakup mm -hmm. there. And, you know, all of us like to think, we all think that we're going into relationships and we're going to be super healthy about them. And that, you know, we say in our heads, like, and when we break up, it's going to be okay. We're going to remain friends and we're going to move <laughs> on to the people that are really meant for for us and it's all and it like never works that way there's always right. more drama than you think and I mean you had like a full-on pajama day after this happened it was there was a fight <laughs> the night before tell us that story and really did it surprise you the way that this panned out afterwards and kind of the way that you had to process it and and your own feelings about it yeah, so that story goes. I with that specific relationship was post what I just talked about, which was an abusive relationship. And mm -hmm. so I had spent a lot of years healing and actually rewiring my identity and coming into oneness of who I was in Christ. Uh, and so I was ready for this relationship with Chris. I was excited. He was a man that was very godly and a lot of people around us supported it. And so for me, it was like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. This is it. Like my time has come. All the pain in the past, all those closed doors, all those failed relationships. Finally, I found a guy. This is so promising. I love him. This is going to be it. Like, praise God. Thank you, Lord. And one day he came to me saying, Kate, I actually don't have peace about the future of our relationship. And it was in that moment, all these thoughts and feelings and me picturing our future life just came crashing down. And it led us into taking a break in our relationship. And it was interesting, Lisa, because it was in that break that I started really hearing from God um, and him speaking to my heart, like that you will be okay, whether or not this relationship works out mm -hmm. and that you ultimately want somebody whose heart is ignited to pursue you through the good, bad and ugly. And you don't want to sit here and try to change this guy's mind, try to convince him to be with you as I would have in the past, as I revealed to you my performance mechanism. And so instead of going into my performance mechanism or going into all the fear that this is going to end, I decided to shift my perspective and even though it was so jarring and so heartbreaking, I started seeing well, or started thinking about what if I could see this heartbreak in a new way? And what if I could trust that God could be potentially, even though it didn't make sense, redirecting me and protecting me from something that I didn't understand? And so obviously I talk about it a lot more in the book. Doesn't mean that it wasn't 
completely filled with grief and a lot of tears and a lot of hard heartache. But through that season of heartbreak, because that relationship did end, it actually brought about so many other beautiful things. Uh, and so that's really what I talk about in the book. And, you know, we say a lot of times heartbreak or rejection is redirection. Rejection is God's protection. But I think of all the stories, that heartbreak story really, really reveals that rejection is and can be God's protection. Yeah, well, that is so true. And it's just funny how, and I've said this many times before on this show, just how, you know, you always think you're going to respond in a different way, or you think that you're a different person. Like I always jokingly say on the Myers-Briggs, I'm a super high T. So I always think I'm going to process a relationship really objectively and be calm, cool-headed about it. And then it doesn't turn out (laughs) that way. And every, like, (laughs) like almost to a one, what you're describing, when I went through a breakup, my, my processing of it or my summation of it was, this didn't work out, so I failed. And I, you know, I thought that the the success in that would be to work hard to patch it together and make it work. And as long as we stayed together, that was success. And that's not at all the case. I mean, you sometimes, as you're saying, deciding that the relationship isn't working out is the success. I mean, it needs to end. You need to move on. Um, I like how you also say, and I want you to kind of uh, give our uh, listeners a little bit of insight into this. You, you talked about how journaling really played a role for you during this time. And is, is that what you're saying? That was where you started seeing some of these insights as far as that and God speaking to you? Yeah, it was. I remember during our break time, I really had a choice to make. I decided, you know, I could have just sat there in fear, crippled by fear of the potential ending of this relationship. Uh, but really, what what good would that do, right? And that's a lot of times what we do. We go through these downward spirals of considering the worst possible situation. But what, where is that getting to us to? It's really just getting us to more fear of what potentially might happen. So instead of allowing myself to go there, because we do have the power to transform our minds, I decided I'm not going to allow myself to go there. I'm going to instead journal out the potential truths of what God might be wanting to show me through this actual heartbreak. And it was in that journaling, which I just believe, Lisa, is such a beautiful therapeutic tool. And yet it's so simple to just take a piece of paper and a pen and actually write down things instead of just being on our phone and being in the digital era, taking a pen to paper. And so I did that in that time. And I remember I was at a park and God just so clearly spoke to me, just different truths of heartbreak and truths that I need to remind myself. And, and in fact, that journal was the very thing that in the actual breakup, which happened not that long after that, This man was breaking up with me, and I remember in the moment, as soon as I just felt that he was about to break up with me, I had that journal with me. I opened to those that page with the truths of those of the heartbreak truths that God had spoke to me, and I remember just receiving those words even as he was speaking to me, because I said to myself, "I am not allowing my mind to go into that downward spiral to just." make myself feel like such a failure to believe that I'm unworthy. I'm instead going to redirect my mind to the truth and to the hope of the future good that I know God will provide in some form or fashion. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, but I knew that it would happen in some way. Well, and the cool thing is, is that it was something that was almost like uh, certainly noticeable, almost measurable, because you talk about um, your stepmom, Karen, kind of giving you a perspective about the growth that she saw in you. What, what would you say, Kate, was, was your biggest area of growth from all of this? Yeah, I think one of my biggest areas of growth was learning that I didn't have to be on audition to be someone's wife. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) And I see uh, so many women that I work with as a dating coach who are just, they've gotten this perspective, almost a scarcity mindset that when there is something good, this has to be it. Like I'm going to cling on to it with all my might, um, even if it's not the best thing for you. And that's often what I've done in my past and what I see a lot of people doing. So the biggest lesson for me was really learning how to surrender a relationship and situations that seem unexplainable to God and remember my own worth and my own value. And if this person was breaking up with me, as Chris did, um, it didn't have to dictate all of who I was. It didn't have to mean that I was never going to have something beautiful in my future again. Uh, And so I think the biggest thing for me was to learn 
hey, I don't have to convince this person to stay with me. No, um, I decided instead to surrender that to God, knowing that he has better plans than I could ever fathom on my own. And it was the biggest freeing moment, I would say, in my dating journey um, in terms of how I actually approached dating. Yeah. Well, and you actually say, I mean, there's so much of this that boils down to identity and people who are, whether you're dating or whether you're on the job hunt or whether you're dealing with friendships or even rejection from family, whether it's past or present, um, there are so many lies uh, that can be spoken to us uh, by others and by Satan himself in this process. And uh, you actually say, you, you give in the book three practical steps for when we feel left out and really are struggling with our identity. Um, you've touched on kind of that first first one, you, the first one is come back to God's truths. And so um, you actually say, in fact, I want to read it um, here in that section, you say the very best thing we can do is turn to the basic yet powerful truths that God lays out in his precious word. Whenever I need a dose of remembering who I am and how I'm uniquely designed, I read my go-to chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 139. And of course, that is such a good one about God's purposes and plans for us even before uh, we were born. Um, and really, really just awesome. I mean, and again, it's something, it's not a one and done. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I read Psalm 139, so now I'm going to be cool and all my relationships right, right. <laughs> will just, I'm going to be mature in them and they'll all pan out and stuff like that. Um, I think that's helpful. Now, Let's move into the second one, though, where you say phone a friend, because I think this is so critical because, again, too often we try to be lone rangers in this, in our relationships yes. and think that we can just soldier it alone. And sometimes we really need to see uh, the impact and the support of other people. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So the phoning a friend part, I think it is, oh my gosh, it's such a critical step here in this process because what I really love to do, and when I'm coaching people, I say this as well, but if you go to a friend and you ask them, hey, why are you friends with me? What unique things do I bring to your life? I think it's such a healing and beautiful moment that we need to actually do more often, especially in seasons where we recognize that we're struggling with rejections or we're trying to prove ourselves to people or to the world. And what we often find when we go to a friend and we ask this question is we realize, you know, our friends are choosing to be friends with us for a reason. And so what are the beautiful, unique giftings that we bring to their life? Why do they choose to spend time with us and pour into us? And I think this can be such a healing experience to quote unquote, phone a friend and ask them, Hey, not only are these God truths that I'm believing, like my favorite in Psalm 139 and just reading that as like a love letter to ourselves, but then practically on this earth, like why are people surrounding themselves with me? What do I bring to them? to their life. And so phoning a friend can be a beautiful step in that process, which also means, Lisa, of course, that we have to have those close friendships. We have to cultivate close friends in our life, people that truly know us. And I'm not just talking about people that we see at work or encounter at church on Sunday. I'm talking about people who we are actually walking hand in hand, arm in arm through life with that know the depths of our heart, the struggles, the things that are difficult for us, and that we that we even keep accountable to and are going on this journey of life with. Yeah, so true. All right. And point number three, um, as we finish out here quickly, <laughs> is stop apologizing, which you gave yes. your own example of, again, going back to the Chris story, saying that you even texted to him stuff like, uh, someone as solid as you shouldn't be dating a hot mess like me. You deserve better. Mm -hmm. Why are we so prone to apologize and how do we stop doing that? Yes, my gosh. I think that we do it in small ways, but then we also do it in bigger ways. And we need to notice in moments, of course, beautiful times when we actually need to reconcile our wrongs, when we've actually hurt someone. But too often we're apologizing for little things that at the core we're actually just insecure about, that we're at the core that we don't actually love about ourselves. And so I say this in the book that we should not forget that not one drop of our self-worth depends on other people's acceptance of us. That we don't have to sit in our lives trying to prove ourselves to every single person that we encounter. And that in, even includes within our dating lives, you know, which we're talking about here. And so I think, yes, there's opportunities for us to seek reconciliation for our wrongs and apologize to somebody because we deeply hurt them. But if I'm just being extra joyous or if I have a lot of emotions one day and I'm having a hard day and I'm crying, I don't need to apologize for crying. I don't need to apologize 
apologize for being extra joyous. Those are beautiful parts of how God has uniquely wired me to have those kinds of emotions. And so I think we need to recognize the beauty that we bring to this world and stop apologizing for it and stop having to convince people to also appreciate the beauty that we bring to the world. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Kate, you give, um, I mean, I think this is one of those things where like every woman who's listening is like, oh my goodness. Okay. This is totally me. This is like, I just need to get some coaching from Kate. I need to figure out what this is about and stuff. But then we also have tons of guys listening who are like, okay, what's my role in this? And so from what you've heard as you've coached, whether it's women or men or both or whatever, what would be your advice to the men who also struggle with rejection, maybe in different ways on either side of this equation, whether they're, you know, someone who's broken up with someone or they've been the one who's been dumped. Um, any insights that would be unique, uh, to them in in handling all this? Yeah, Lisa, this is a really great question. And I have such a heart for the brothers because we have to remember that men experience rejection just as much as women also experience rejection. And so I would say, especially for the men listening, struggling with rejection, get yourself into really deep and cultivate beautiful community, a deep, rich, vulnerable community with other men. I think oftentimes we have this really weird and skewed view of masculinity as if that if you are vulnerable and if you share your emotions, you are not really a man. Or if you share your emotions and if you're vulnerable, it doesn't make you strong. But I just believe that is so counterintuitive to how Jesus actually lived his life as an emotional man um, who was also incredibly vulnerable. So my encouragement to the brothers would be to really focus on step two, get into deep community and enrich your lives with men who really know you, know the depths of your heart and soul, so that when rejection happens, you can run to those men, be honest with them. You can cry with them if you need to, show your emotions. There's nothing to be ashamed of in being vulnerable and having vulnerable brotherhood. Yeah, so true and so many great uh, bits of advice there. Okay, folks, the book is Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose and Learn to Fight for Yourself. We've been talking uh, to Kate Warman here and uh, definitely want you to uh, remember she's also the host of the Heart of Dating podcast. And Kate, thank you so much for sharing um, your own insights, not only professionally, but also from your own experience, which again is so encouraging to those of us who have or are walking the same road. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lisa. This has been a joy. Oh, God, did I hear you? You really want me to walk up to that mountain tell it just to move. This is crazy. Yeah. I'm trusting because with you I know that all things are possible and i can walk on water if you're calling me to you and it's crazy yeah lord this scares me yeah but it's gonna take Stepping out, I'm taking the leap of crazy faith. All right, everyone, we are opening up this week's inbox, and I, Lisa Anderson, get to answer this week's question. And it's always fun when I see your questions come in, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a really thoughtful question and something that probably would help other folks. And so here we go with this week's question. Um, we have a guy who says, I'm a church intern, and I'm interested in getting to know a woman on the pastoral staff. I just came from another country before coming to the church to serve in full-time ministry. What type of approach should I take in getting to really know her? I do see her as someone with potential in the type I'm looking for as a life partner. She's also five years older than me, which is not an issue, but she's more stable in her position, and I'm just getting started. Okay, great question. And here are a few things just to start. Okay, you have mentioned just even in this small, short question <laughs> that you are in a new country, 
a new church, a new job, and a new situation entirely, and now a new interest in a person who is new to you. So my bottom line advice for this right now is to take your time. Um, You need to just chill and allow yourself time to settle in, get the lay of the land, figure out what is going on in your job, in your sphere, in your relationships, and, and be okay with that. Okay, so that's just kind of my advice. Now here you know, here's kind of some caveats to that or some additional details. So um, as far as this woman that you're working with, definitely get to know her, but just don't rush it, you know? So this isn't like, hey, the next time I see her, maybe I need to ask her out. But definitely in the work context, in fellowship, in the church itself, get to know her. And, you know, in a very friendly, collegial kind of way, that's totally legit. Um, And I think that's something you can do. In the meantime, do great work in the job that you're now doing, the ministry that you're now doing, and build other relationships around that. So focus on some friendships, focus on the relationships with your coworkers, your team, what that looks like, uh, allow them to get to know you, and vice versa, and just kind of build some cred right where you are. Because again, you're the new guy, you've got a lot to learn, probably, you've got a lot to establish uh, yourself. And so just make that happen, allow yourself to settle in. You know, women are kind of leery of guys who show up at a church and swoop in and start like asking women out and stuff. And that, you know, for good or for bad, whatever, there are (laughs) pluses and minuses on both sides of that. But just again, allow yourself and her some space and some time in that. And so um, find out more about her as you can. And ultimately, you know, you're going to, you're going to see your opportunity and you're going to see as time goes by, you know, she's going to warm up to you or whatever. And if there's an opportunity there, then you kind of put your cards on the table and say, hey, I'd maybe like to get to know you in a dating context. Or is this, you know, it could be something that you even have to talk to your boss about, because again, you have the work factor in here. I mean, you guys are, are, uh, you know, co-employees and stuff. So there's a consideration in that as well. But Um, Everything else being equal, I think if you just chill, bide your time, get to know folks, do your thing, then uh, when the time presents itself and the opportunity presents itself, then certainly there will be a natural segue in this. And in that, I wish you all the best. All right. Well, folks, that is it uh, for this week's show. We love it when you are willing to give us a review. Uh, So if you hop over to Apple Podcasts, in fact, I was just reading some of the reviews on there, some of the most recent ones the other day, and we so appreciate those. Not only are they encouraging to us, but they allow other people to learn about the show, get a gist of the show, and really what people find great about it, and then maybe they'll give it a chance as well. So Apple Podcasts, look for The Boundless Show, leave us a review. We would love it. That's it for this week's show. I'll see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I Have Called You By Name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen.